This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, Alice Pod fans, it's JR here. Burt's Babes, Hoddle's Heroes, even Decanio's Dozens. We've had some iconic lineups in our history at Swindon, just like the legendary menu at McDonald's. Parkin or Austin, sweet curry or barbecue? Why not get a McNugget share box to enjoy the debates with your mates? And thanks to book delivery, every drop-off could be a home win. Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points too. No one wants to drop points at home, and with tasty rewards to earn, you won't be missing out. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply see mcdonalds.com hello and welcome to the Love strangers a swindon town fan podcast proudly sponsored by the stfc official supporters club rogers is streaking ahead and he's onside beautiful play that is that what a good shot Now, this is an expat special of the Low Strangers podcast uh, for the My Eleven series. And you know how dedicated to the cause one is when we start recording just before quarter past six on a Friday morning. How's that for dedication? It's incredibly dedicated. I certainly wouldn't be doing it myself. <laughs> and why is that? Where, where the devil are you? Well, I'm in Singapore now. Um, it's 1.15 in the afternoon, so uh, I've been thinking about this pod all morning. Um, and uh, I've been in Singapore for 10 years, in fact, 10 years last week. So uh, time seems to have absolutely flown, but it's kept me a long way away from the county ground, that's for sure. Absolutely. And, you know, that, that of course, for those connecting the dots, that makes you Matt in Singapore, the the creator of the new podcast logo and contributor to the weekly episodes of the pod. So firstly, thank you very much for doing that. Oh, you're welcome. Absolutely. It's, it's, uh, I've said this before, but it's, the pod has definitely brought me a lot closer to the club and, and, you know, helped me really connect in the last, in the last year or so in, in a way that just haven't been able to in the last 10, 20 years that I've been away from the UK. Yeah. Well, we're going to start this 
episode, like we start all the My Elevens, again, a little bit of a background for you as a Swindon Town fan. So the first question is, what was your first town game? My first game was, actually, it's a strange one. It's, it's 1984 in November. Um, I was 10 and it was against Aldershot. And the, the, I mean, I only remember, I remember the game specifically for a few reasons. Um, but I hadn't been going much when I was younger. Obviously, we lived a long way away from the UK, uh, from Swindon at the time. And, uh, you know, we, we were sort of driving up from, from London to, uh, to the games, a three hour round trip. We went up that day because my, I think my grandfather was getting absolutely sick and tired of me refusing to go to football games and, uh, and was desperate for me to become a Swindon fan. So we went up. There had been a bit of, um, you know, noise around Lumakari being the manager. And it was just kind of exciting for me to go up for the first game. The couple of things that I remember very clearly were, first of all, while Lou was the manager, he came on in the second half. And I have this memory of, seeing him sort of strip down and get ready to play and just thinking, what's going on here? And I'd never seen a manager play for a club. And I just had this this thought that uh, the manager thinks his team played that badly that he's going to get on the pitch and show them how it's done. And I actually think he scored in that game as well. Um, so pretty, pretty amazing. Um, I think I remember it being absolutely ice cold, freezing cold. It was November. I've never experienced standing outside for two hours, um, was absolutely horrified by the weather. Um, and then I think the other thing was that it, it was the people around me just kind of experiencing the the bit of camaraderie, I guess, and, and listening to the fans kind of shout at players. I heard probably more swear words that day than I'd ever heard in my life. Yeah. And uh, I think, you know, we had a very small crowd. That's just what it was like back then in those days. Um, Less than two thousand, probably, um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, as soon as as soon as I went, that was it. I was I was hooked, and you know, we didn't get to go very often, but I you know always tried to get back when I could. Isn't it funny that I think, especially for a lot of the guys who were going in that bleak early eight mid eighties, just as Lou Macari was arriving just before those awful attendances, and I do urge people to go on Rich Banyard's website and just look at the attendances from that time. It's almost like a badge of honour for those who were going. I mean, when my dad supported Swindon, you know, he had a you could tell he had like this sense of pride that there may have only been, you know, one thousand eight hundred, two thousand, three hundred, whatever, but he was one of them. Oh yeah, you had to be you had to be committed. That's for sure. In more ways than one, probably. Um, but my, I mean, my grandfather moved from Bristol to Swindon, became a Swindon fan in the early '60s, and and then when my dad moved to Swindon from London, he became a Swindon fan. Used to go with his mates, um, and then when they came into contact, they used to go together to uh, to see games. You know, they saw the Anglo-Italian Cup games. They went to see the League Cup final. So I used to hear all these stories. And I was born in Swindon, obviously, um, so just there was no way out of it. There's no way I was going to be ever able to support anybody else. Yeah. Okay, well, moving on to the next question and keeping you in the country, going to games um, yeah. to see Swindon. What were your favourite games before you moved away, right across the board from childhood to adulthood? Which ones really stand out? Um 
it's I suppose that when you're a bit of an exile as I was um, you and you don't get to see many games my dad was in the police so we didn't usually have time on Saturdays to go up either you really remember the big games I mean because we had to pick and choose we we ended up you know trying to get to playoff games trying to get to the end of season games where we were sort of closing in a tight finish um, the, the, obviously, the big one for me was that um, our deal is year where we were in the playoff final um, against Sunderland. And, you know, that I've never experienced anything like that. I think they had 70,000 people at Wembley that year. Yeah. And more than 30,000 were town fans. And, and this, the atmosphere was incredible. I mean, I've been to a few games that season. I had a massive thing for Duncan Shearer because I'm ginger, was ginger. He obviously was ginger. So I had this kind of affinity with him. But that year, he scored a ton of goals. Steve White scored a load of goals. So to know that we were going to that final at Wembley was just super exciting. I mean, it, was, it wasn't it was far from where we lived. So we drove over there. Um, just incredible experience. And then, of course, on the way back, you know, we had the flags in the car. We had scarves hanging out the window. We were sort of beeping a horn at all the town fans on the way back. It was just a, an amazing day, really sort of. Could have won by a lot more. I think we had a lot of chances, but, um, but obviously then uh, you know things went south very quickly as they tend to do as a Swindon fan. Ten days later, I think one thing that definitely stands out because you know I was briefly an expat as a kid living in Germany with the army, but I think one of the legacies of somebody who is not from Swindon who didn't go regularly as as a kid and still doesn't go as regularly as as one would want now. I, I still get that sort of giddy thrill regardless of the game. So it could be, you know, Chelsea in the League Cup or it could be Atkinson Stanley on the final day of the season. I still get that little sort of mild sort of excitement as the train, you know, pulls into Swindon Station or as we park up and you can see the floodlights. I still have that. And that's that's one thing I, I think a lot of the regulars don't get you know there is a lot of that notion of routine but if you don't go much you get that sort of extra the one thing we are given is that little bit of more of excitement yeah it, it's really a treat i mean even since the start of i follow you know getting to watch the games every week you you can't replace that with the experience of being there and and when i come back and again we we tend to not see that many games we might see one game a year sometimes a game every two years the whole day is, is super exciting. Even now at my age, you know, just getting up, getting ready, getting all your gear. If it's in the winter, because generally we're back at Christmas, you know, getting dressed up, getting the scarves out. And, you know, I've got scarves from that playoff final still that I take to games. So they're very tatty and they don't work really as scarves, but uh, but still great to take along. But, but yeah, it's it's one of those things that I, you know, I've been trying to get my kids involved and, and I've semi-failed so far but you know I'm working on it and you just there's something about that feeling when you get back there driving up the M4 we're always you know anxious about there being an accident on the way that completely scuppers the day Mm. but you know getting to the ground and walking in with the fans it's just it's such an exciting feeling and that that's it's exactly the same feeling that I had in that first game but you know everything's different everything's better the experience is better you know the the pitch is better the players are better generally and uh, so really, really great fun to, to go back and catch the games. So I imagine when you're down in Singapore, fixture list day is a big one for you if you're looking at the Christmas schedule, because usually it's, it's rarely in our favour. 
That's right. That's right. I mean, even even last year, it was, you know, I extended the trip slightly. I didn't tell my wife any of this before we booked the trip, of course, but I extended it, managed to persuade her to go back for just over three weeks so we could get two games in. Um, and, you know, we it's really disappointing, but I don't think we'll get back this year because of, of all the, the issues that we've got. And obviously, there aren't going to be fans in the ground anyway. But... Um, but yeah, it's it's uh, it's really nice to to sort of look out and see who's there, who you might get on Boxing Day if you're going to be at home on Boxing Day. You know, we try to go Boxing Day and New Year's Day if we can, um, and that's you know it's just really it's really fun. Last year was great, of course, because we had Cambridge on Boxing Day, who we just demolished, um, and then we had the fun of Bradford. I think it was Bradford New Year's Day. It was mm-hmm. a draw. Leiden got sent off. All good fun, but. Uh, but the, I think the amazing thing was that I, I tried to take as many people as I could, persuaded as many people in the family to go. And, you know, it's just great to get the, the kids along. My nieces came. Two of my kids came. One of them is, has absolutely no interest whatsoever, too old, and, and it's not cool enough. Uh, but my younger daughter and my son came along, and, and they loved it, you know. And, and it's quite a nice feeling to be able to share that with your kids as you get a bit older. Mm. But... Uh, but yeah, hopefully, hopefully we'll be able to get back at some point next year before the before the season runs out. Yeah, fingers crossed. Okay, let's talk unique memories. So, what what memories of watching Swindon again before the big moves um, do you have that maybe the rest of us don't have? It's tricky actually because I, I suppose again, you know, we weren't going to too many games. I mean, my unique memories are probably tied in with my happy memories. So, you know, getting to see that playoff final, um, you know, experiencing the Leicester game, which was just brutal, brutal, and even now I can't watch it. It's, it's very hard to sit through that second half. Um, but I think I think the sort of the unique memories for me are just getting a chance to go up. I mean, it, we had so little chance to go to Swindon. Um, I moved away when I was three. You know, my dad was in the police, so he worked Saturdays a lot of the time. I think when I became a teenager, we. We didn't play football at my school. It was cricket and rugby and, and, you know, rowing and things like that. And so as soon as I got into sport, I was off around the country doing things on Saturdays. And it just became really, really tough to, to get to see the games. Um, the I suppose, you know, the, the other memories around games are just things like, um, you know, Hoddle taking over. I mean, going to see that, we went to see... Hoddle in a couple of, as manager, in a couple of games in 92, 93. Uh, even in 91, 92, we went up for a few games. But the first game of the 92, 93 season, he scored a great goal, Hoddle. I'm sure everybody's seen it, everybody that wasn't around at the time. But, you know, those kind of experiences, I feel quite lucky to have had because we, you know, we weren't around for a lot of, of games. And, um, you know, we sort of picked and chose the ones that we wanted to see. And, and to get there that day, to see Hoddle, who you kind of, you know, knew again as this as this incredible player for England and Tottenham and, and uh, Monaco and whoever else, to see him on the pitch and, you know, just that I think he, I think they played Sunderland. Again, a lot of my, for some reason, a lot of my experiences are with Sweden playing Sunderland, which is the odd. But they just stood off him they just I think they all knew that he could do something he could he could turn um, slot a pass through um, put somebody in and you know they stood off him they stood off him he didn't have an open pass um, just dummied and and took an amazing shot and 
scored. And I think they had Tony Norman in goal that day. Yeah. Um, and Tony Norman was also in goal the day they won the playoff final. Yeah. So he had a bit of bad luck against Swindon. But even then, you know, I think Terry Butcher was playing for Sunderland at that time. So, you know, quite unique experiences, I suppose. But, I mean, my experiences of following the town are just, you know, desperately trying to get to games when we can. And, and uh, you know, some of these highs and lows are all part of that, I guess. Now, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sort of let people behind the curtain here. We, we converse about Swindon on a regular basis. And I know there's a photographer's story, which is a great one. When I started work, uh, after I left uni, I went to work in publishing, first of all. And I was working for a publisher that produced Autocar and What Cars, working on the car magazines. Um, we had that season that I was working there, we had Steve McMahon as manager. I think he had, I think he had basically taken over a very decent squad, not a loved manager, by all accounts, and you know, even the fans, we nobody was. You saw, you saw McMahon get sent off as player manager, and you know, the fans were just up in arms. It was really kind of, it was a tough, tough period. But he had a lot of good players in that team. Um, they won the league. I think they had won the season. They won the league a few games before the end of the season. Already promoted. Um, and I had a ticket. My granddad had a ticket. My dad had a ticket. We were going up for that final game where they were going to get the trophy. And it just, at the last minute, occurred to me that we also published 442. And I thought, maybe I should have a quick word with the publisher and just see if I can wangle something. Um, you know, I went in and had a quick chat with him. I managed to blag a press pass. I think it was under the premise that I would take some decent pictures, <laughs> um, which, you know, obviously I, I didn't. I have a feeling they might have used one picture eventually that I took, but... You know, I, I got this press pass, got to the ground, had this amazing experience of going through the, the club and actually going up through the tunnel onto the pitch, um, you know, waving at my dad and my granddad in the stands. Just surreal, completely surreal. Um, all the photographers that were there were these sort of grizzled old media guys who'd been there for 20 years and all rolled their eyes when they saw me with my, you know, cheap SLR and rubbish lenses. And... Uh, so I, I kind of sat there and, and managed to, you know, experience the game from pitch side. And I took a, a load of photographs. Um, the uh, the players were all celebrating at the end. They got the trophy. They were all getting their medals. Um, and I was on the pitch. So I was kind of, again, just wandering around the pitch thinking, what, how on earth did I get here? Um, took a, I took so many pictures with my, my camera through the, the match, 15 or 20 rolls of film with the old SLR that um, at one point walking around with the players and Steve McMahon, I ran out of film and I thought to myself, bugger that, I'm not, I'm not leaving the pitch. There's no way you're gonna get me off here. And I just kept on clicking the camera with, uh, with no film in it. And I walked around for another 45 minutes doing that, pretending to have, have, uh, have film left in the camera. So that was, uh, that was great fun amazing day just you know to to be out there kind of feel like you you really experience it with the players that sort of celebratory uh occasion was just it was fantastic um but yeah i, I have a feeling i got back um and you know we processed the the films and there was nothing it was hopeless i've still got a load of those pictures here funnily enough they ended up in singapore with me um so there's some there's some pictures of wayne allison and kevin horlock 
we still had Sean Taylor then. No, great, great players still. And uh, it was just, it was a privilege really to be out there on the pitch with those guys at the end. We we need to see those pictures, and by we, I think I, but but that would be really good to see the quality of those uh, journalistic uh, <laughs> efforts. What, what quality you, is probably not how I would describe them. <laughs> what do you think the ultimate blag is now in twenty twenty? I imagine it's you know the groundsman at halftime with the uh, with the fork in the in the on the pitch. I think that's that's the new you know modern blag of getting on the pitch somehow. Yeah, I, I can't imagine that it would be that easy anymore really i mean in those days i even remember when i arrived at the ground just walking through i don't think anybody checked my press pass i went straight through the the door and up the tunnel onto the pitch um and, and you know times have just changed significantly there'd be a lot more security and i think the blags are a lot more difficult now very much so and just for the record not all of you on the blag but come on some of you i watch i see you okay um one thing i'm always interested in in following Swindon is not necessarily the Swindon players it's the players that in a generation always seem to do something against the club you know the ones that I always uh, mention uh, you know Hater when he was at um, Bournemouth just James Hater mm-hmm. always seemed to just do us score or play very well lots of people will already highlight Alex Ravel who had a knack of scoring against us, but when he played for us, he you know he wasn't too bad, but it just didn't work out. Who were the players that stand out when you see them in, in an eleven? You go, oh bloody hell! It's always ex-players. I can't imagine. I mean, unless we've had a, an incident with a player who's really, you know, caused a major injury to somebody on our team, or or who has blagged a goal somehow. Um, it's just the it's just the sort of hatred for ex-players that you know are going to come back and score. I mean, all the guys you mentioned, Leon Clark and Aidan Flynn. I mean, we've obviously got villains this season, and in some ways, I'm glad to have got that game out of the way yes. quickly. But uh, but I think Keshi could you know he could become one of those guys in the in the next year or two. And it depends. I mean, it depends how how he plays it on social media, how he reacts. I don't. I didn't see much of a reaction this time after the game, or even before the game. So, he. I think he's been fairly uh, cautious around doing that. But I suppose when you go back, it's it's not only the players that left, but it's managers as well. For me, it's not just the the players that that would come back and score that always scored. You know, I'd hate to see seeing a Jose's name on team sheets because you just knew that he was going to come in and and score. Um, but it's things like. Um, you know, like David Flitcroft or Mark Cooper recently, you just wanted them to get battered. And, you know, they're even even for a while afterwards, it wasn't necessarily even them playing Swindon. You know, you'd just be keen to see them fail. Um, it's I don't know whether, for me, it's about players not committing to clubs for a long period of time. So there's not that association with, with a lot of players. But managers who tend to be you know, slightly longer term with clubs when they do ditch you or they get ditched and, and they want to come back and have revenge, there's something else about it. And so I, I look back and think think about people like Dennis Wise leaving, you know, when we were doing really well, could have been one of our best ever managers in terms of results. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I wanted to see him completely fail after that, you know, and, and of course he didn't stay in management for long. Um, you know, you can't say that about Paolo because... We all love Paolo for some reason or other, despite what happened at the end. Um, Tim Sherwood will irk me forever 
and you know I can't the the thing that's very very frustrating actually here in Singapore we get the coverage of our Premier League TV is is actually the Premier League TV's own coverage and Tim Sherwood is always in the studio so on a Saturday night I will not put the game on if I'm watching a Premier League game until 10 p.m. exactly on the dot. I don't want to see any of the Tim Sherwood punditry. <laughs> you know, I sit and listen to him and just don't believe what he says. And it's uh, something I just cannot get out of my system. So uh, Tim Sherwood is on that list. I suppose when you go back even further, you know, and you look at some of the villains, the one that always makes me laugh is is the Man United games in the Premier League. Yeah. Um, I mean, I know it's it's going back a long way for a lot of fans, but... You know, if you watch that game now, some of the some of the tackles in that game, there would have been six or seven reds nowadays. You know, I think Cantona got sent off. Um, we ended up we ended up drawing two two. I think I think Fjordov scored at the end. Brilliant game though, because you know he Roy Keane talks about it now. He talks about how teams like Swindon and Norwich were they were only really up for it when they were playing Man United and that their players were only good when they were playing Man United because of that, um, which is obviously bollocks. But, <laughs> uh, but you know, it's it's great to go back. I mean, I, I watched some of that footage a few weeks ago and, you know, Mark Hughes is getting involved with uh, Kevin Horlock, I think. Um, John Moncur's getting involved. You know, it was, it was really a, it was a really exciting game. Yeah. And you know, those, those guys just... They knew that the the so-called smaller clubs were going to have a go at them, so it was a uh, was great. Yeah, I mean, Roy Keane mentions it in his autobiography, doesn't he? Teams like Swindon, um, and I, I would argue that we were up for every game, but we just weren't good enough. But that that game, I completely agree. That would now have its own Wikipedia page if it was in 2020, because you know Hughes is fighting with fans in the stands. Oh, yeah. You know there are big tackles. It's, it would it would have the war of the county ground or the battle of the county ground. You know <laughs> nowadays, given given what we saw and even Swindon scoring a, a massive deflection for Luke Nyholt's goal, it, it just adds to that little bit of wind up sort of element of the game, doesn't it? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, that, that season was, the Premier League season was, I, I loved it the whole time. I, it was my first year at university, so I never I never went to games. I got to a couple of games, I think, the, that the start of the season, and then that was it when I went off to, to college. But, um, you know, just, just, just loved it, just loved that we were there. You know, I think everybody knew that it was going to be an absolute disaster from the beginning, especially with Hoddle leaving, Calderwood leaving. I mean, it was like a mass exodus at the start of that season but uh but just great to be there i mean uh, the worst thing for me i had a flatmate in in uh, in essex where i was studying and he was a newcastle supporter and they absolutely just just <laughs> stopped us. terrible absolutely terrible but you know it, i think we always just you know as bad as it was it was it was a great experience to have, have been around that time and to have to have seen your team in in the premier league um, and you know, even now when I I talk to um, relatives of my wife here in Singapore, or you know, people that I knew in Hong Kong that were football fans, and they don't know, they don't remember that Swindon were in the uh, in the Premier League. So when you talk about supporting a side that is in League Two, League One, you know, they kind of switch off. And then you mention, oh, by the way, we did have one season, and we did play against uh, Roy Keane and and Eric Cantona, and we beat Tottenham at home that year. 
Yeah. And uh, you know, and then people kind of change their tune a little bit. You have a, you get a bit more respect. Working <laughs> uh... in the crosses from the left and the right hand side. Here's McLaughlin. McLaughlin to try a shot. It's off Gary Bennett, and that is the opening goal. Alan McLaughlin. So let's move towards the expat element. So, you know, I know that you've lived in Hong Kong, you've, you live in, in, in Singapore now. Very simple question to get the ball rolling. When did you move from the UK permanently overseas? Um, I moved in August 2000, so again, 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, I had 10 years in Hong Kong. Um, it, it's strange actually because when you know obviously because I was kind of an exile anyway living in South London um, you got to look back to 1995 when the coverage was just teletext we didn't really even get the radio coverage um, we never we were never really able to listen to games back then mm. so prior to leaving the UK you know there was a I mean it's it's quite insane to think that we just really had the internet four, five years, six years earlier, I mean, to any useful extent. Um, so, you know, you're able to check things online, but I, had, I went from CFAX or Teletext, the page with 302, I think, the football page, um, you know, moving into looking at uh, information online about the games. And then when I moved to Hong Kong, um, I went to Hong Kong to work for a design agency there, and it was really difficult to follow Swindon because, you know, the games were always at 10 p.m. Um, in the winter and when the clocks change it's 11 p.m. and on a Saturday night generally you're out you're doing something it was really hard to to follow um, and, and of course then no smartphones we had no wireless internet in 2000 um, it was really hard to get updates um, BBC and I think the advert I can't remember when yeah, the website came up, but you know, I used to get on that forum and argue with everyone, and <laughs> that was really the extent of the the kind of interaction. Yeah, M- Mickey Hazard is God. He's not was God. You know, he got <laughs> he got that username all wrong. It's in, it's it's really funny because I mean, when you when you move away in August two thousand. I'm almost 17 at that stage. So my experience up to this point with you is pretty much identical. You know, CFAX, I remember, you know, it was 3.02, 3.12 for the news in brief where the Swindon news would be, and then 3.90 for the local news where Swindon news would be the main story. And then I think the the teletext equivalent, 170 was the local news. I think maybe 140 was, was the, uh, with the sport the football page I'm not 100% because I was CFAX but but it's it's pretty much the same and on the on the football front Swindon are dismal at this stage so we've just been relegated from the championship you know Colin Todd's just about to start his new revolution I'm pretty sure that's 2000 isn't it and I always think about expats at this stage who are, are big football fans is it it's probably less so for you because you weren't a super regular but is that on your mind when you make these decisions to move away like oh i'm not going to be able to see the town for ages or or is it kind of like now nah, I, I know i know business and i know recreation and i and i know how to separate the two oh it's definitely on your mind i mean i i remember thinking at the time firstly i think most people when they when they become expats they never expect to be away for more than a year or two mm. and when i left i was thinking two years there come back or go somewhere else and have a bit more experience but you know it won't be forever 
and I always thought that I would be back at least once or twice a year and uh, I'd factor that in. I'd come back and I'd go and see a game at the start of the season, at the end of the season or Christmas. Um, and then it just it changes when you're away because, again, you know, you, you're kind of experiencing a completely new culture. Um, it's, you know, it's not as talked about. I'm not discussing football every day, I'm not talking about. I mean, even before I left, you know, I would call my dad. I mean, this is the other issue, of course, being a Swindon exile. I had no friends that supported Swindon. Um, and just didn't understand it at all. You know, all my friends in London were Tottenham fans, Fulham fans, Chelsea fans. Um, so I hadn't grown up around this culture of, you know, talking to friends after games, um, you know, talking to people at work on a Monday morning about Swindon. Um, I'd always had my dad and my granddad. And then, you know, when I went away, it, it kind of that disappears as well. Because, again, you, you're talking about 2000. You know, we had just about got Skype, I think, not long after I went there. But... It was just me and my dad having chats about the games. So it does fade for sure. Um, it becomes very secondary. But at the same time, it's, it's um, you know, it gives you a way of connecting back to the UK. And, and I have to say, I mean, I was a little bit obsessive about keeping in touch. And I mean, this, this is going to sound very strange, but one thing I used to do on a Saturday night if I was going out was I would open up the BBC Sport page on the Swindon live text commentary for the evening before I went out. I'd make sure my laptop was set so that it wouldn't shut down. It was powered up, ready to go. And when I came back in, didn't matter what time of the night it was the following morning, um, I would always walk in, cover my screen with something, and I'd scroll all the way down to the bottom of the text. It might be three o'clock in the morning. Sometimes it would be 10 o'clock the next morning when I'd finally woken up. But I would literally start reading up through the text commentary from the first minute to the end of the game. So I actually had some sort of match experience. Now it would only take me three or four minutes to get through it, but it was the only way I felt like I could actually, you know, enjoy the game as it ran through. And, you know, one of the worst things ever was occasionally I would I would drop whatever I was using to cover the screen and I would see the result and that would blow the whole thing. <laughs> on on CFAX, I remember you could either get the live score updates where it would sort of, it would either be the, the you would have the video printer service where you could watch TV and follow the get the goals going in soccer Saturday essentially, and you also had a page where you could, and I remember this, you could do it on CFAX, but the possibly the best way to describe it is, you know, on grandstand they used to do the latest scores where you used to bring up the fixture lists. Yeah. And you would be just, you go to the alphabetical order. If it was Swindon at home, you would go to the bottom. I used to, up until my late teens, I used to put my hand over the TV screen when <laughs> when when League One, it would have been, well, you know, whatever it was called back then, Division Two. And I would put my hand over the screen so I couldn't see the scores, find the Swindon game, unveil the away to the opposition's current score first. And it would say nil, okay. <laughs> it would say one, oh bloody hell. It would say two, oh god. And then I would slowly reveal the Swindon <laughs> result and, and then be like, okay, and then process it and then get on with it. But that was my way of keeping the tension. And that's what sparked oh, the yeah. memory there. That was my way of sort of like, I'm not at the game, but I'll, I'll make it nervy for myself by covering the score <laughs> because 
you know, we never got there before, you know, the Des Lynam or Steve Ryder would start talking about it. So I was always able to, and, and it, it just really did create that sort of extra tension. Really silly, really. And I've done it a couple of times. I did it the um, the game where we beat Northampton. I decided I was far too nervous to follow it. And so I, I'd sort of turned my my phone on airport mode or airplane mode and watched a film and then around about what should be full time it never is it's always about five six minutes left I did the same again and I felt that same I hadn't done it for 20 years but still felt that pang of anxiety um because Swindon needed to win it so much Uh, it's it's funny but you you know, I suppose when you look at how technology's moved on and, and it's so easy to be updated. I mean, anywhere I am now, I mean, even if I'm traveling for work or, or whatever it might be, we might be on holiday somewhere. I'm, I can check those updates and, you know, you're getting you're getting frequent updates on Twitter. You might be getting notifications from the BBC or wherever you're getting your information from. But there's no way that you miss a single thing. Yeah. And I suppose... When you look back at those days and, you know, that thing for me of scrolling up through the text commentary, you just it just gave you a some way of connecting to the experience that, you know, you couldn't get otherwise. Yeah. Um, and it changed a bit, obviously, then for me, because we I think in the early 2000s, maybe mid 2000s, they launched a system that was called Premium, uh, Premium TV, I think. Yeah. Uh, where you could subscribe and listen to games. And this really was. It was massive for me being so far away because, you know, you you didn't get to see games very often. You didn't get to listen to games. All of a sudden, I got audio commentary, um, live audio commentary. I mean, I was I was holding off going out and and staying home on a Saturday night and you know going out at midnight just so I could listen to the to the games. Quite amazing. But the other thing that they had with that package was highlights on a Monday. Mm-hmm. So you know, I would be this is I was in Hong Kong on a Monday. I would come into work. Um, they always posted the highlights. I'm sure it was just staged to, to upload at a certain time, but the highlights always came on at 6, 30, 7 o'clock in the morning. And I would have to be at my desk. I'd have to have cleared everything, got everybody out of the way, and I would just sit and, and wait for those highlights to appear. And it's it just sounds like absolute desperation. And anybody that's kind of under 20 listening to this probably thinks we're entirely insane. But you just you just had to have some sort of a fix, right? You had, there was even as a as a guy who hadn't grown up in Swindon, you know, I had to have this this uh, sort of connection back to the club. Yeah, and and the funny thing about that for those who don't remember that era is the highlights were bare minimum as well, <laughs> like goals and maybe a chance if it was a low scoring game. That's right, and the, and the commentator was always from Yorkshire, or you know, you just how is this guy's clearly not at the game? I mean, there, there must have been companies that were outsourcing these videos to, to somewhere up north, Dewsbury. There's a guy sitting in an office watching games and come and reading the the team sheets. Utterly disinterested as well. Like, yeah. like it could be Parkin clinching his hat trick, and it'll be and Parkin scores that's three nil a hat trick for sam parkin and you're like come on mate that's right it wasn't wasn't the most energetic that's for sure how did you how did you follow things like uh 2003 4 so things like the uh the brighton loss and the rise of that parkin mooney partnership and how has it evolved in time i mean obviously other other player games for example 
televised. So if Swindon get a game televised in the UK, is it's almost certainly um, out in Singapore now, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, it, it depends what else is on that day, typically. Um, playoff games, they do tend to show them now. Um, Ten years ago, definitely not. Um, you know, when I was in Hong Kong, that we would never have gotten that kind of, mm. of access. Um, so, I mean, around that time, I have a feeling in 2000, I think we might have been listening to it. The Brighton game, I remember listening to it just, you know, yeah. we don't need to talk about it. It's horrible. It's a horrible experience. Thinking back, just terrible. But, you know, it, it's, um, it was very difficult then, especially, you know, when the games were important. I mean, right after I left the UK, um, around about that time, 2000, we, I think it was around about the Colin Todd era, he was bringing in all sorts of players. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was just, you know, it wasn't the best. So I kind of, you know, I kind of uh, lost a bit of interest. And, and there are times, certainly in the last 20 years, where, um, you know, I, I will have just given myself a few weeks off because it's gotten so depressing. And, and you know, when you're not there to share it with people and kind of yell at people and, and get it out of your system, it's quite difficult, actually. And I've, I've found that, um, I mean, 2017-18 was probably the worst experience I've had watching from afar because we had, you know, we had iFollow or whatever the system was. I think it was iFollow then. Um and, you know, we were just playing so badly. We were losing a lot of games. And I was giving up on, on the late night games. Um, when I think when I follow first began, you know, I, I would happily get up for a 2.45 a.m. kickoff on a Tuesday night um, or even 3.45 in the springtime when the clocks change. Um, but, you know, those games, they ruin your week. Yes. Because if I if I was to sleep from 10 p.m. to 3 a.m., get up, make a cup of tea, watch the game through. And at 5.30, it would wrap up 5.40, and we'd have lost, we'd been hammered. You know, my Wednesday was atrocious, and, and you know, I'd be in a shocking mood all day. There were some days, actually, especially after I, I started my own agency and here in Singapore, and, you know, there were days when it was so bad, I just wouldn't go in till lunchtime because I just couldn't face people. I didn't want to be nice to people. And I knew I was going to yell for no reason and make people cry. So I just, you know, I had to kind of, I had to hold off a little bit on, on some of those games. And in the end, I, I did go through a period where I just said, no, I need to, I need to take a few, a few weeks off. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm glad you did for your, for your employees well-being. Yeah. if I'm honest. It makes you a good employer, I suppose. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, we've we've talked about this you know off mic before you know i i think the best other than in europe the best place to probably be an expat football fan for european football is north america east coast um because it's early in the morning or it's nice it's breakfast time and then you can get on with the rest of your day what what's your typical saturday 3 p.m routine um i suppose the it's also slightly different as I've gotten older because now I've got, um, you know, kids and, and Saturday night tends to be, you know, I've got no excuse. I've got to be in watching the game. I've got, you know, a young son here and, and uh, my daughters are older, so they've moved away. But we tend to, I tend to sort of park up at 9.30 on the sofa and um, start listening to the pre-match commentary. You know, I follow just, 
you know, transform the experience for me. It's it's been absolutely fantastic. And you know, despite what you might think, my wife is actually quite happy about <laughs> me having my follow because it means that a she doesn't have to listen to me for two hours, and she b she just gets absolute peace and quiet, goes off to another room and and kind of avoids all the all the football stuff. But you know what I'll tend to do, and if there are good uh, Premier League games on. Sometimes I'll have the TV on with a Premier League game on on sort of low volume, and then I'll just watch uh, the Swindon game through on my laptop. Um, but because I follow, have really improved, um, you know, the quality of the broadcast, and and it's so much more stable now. I always now tend to put it on the TV, and and um, you know, I use AirPlay for my Mac, super clear. Um, I was a bit anxious this weekend because obviously their their system was getting overloaded with uh, with new iFollow subscribers, so it was a bit shaky at, at start. But no, I tend to just kind of you know kids away, dinner out the way, and then I'm in front of the TV for two hours, and uh, it's nice at this time. But when it moves into April, I think March when your clocks change because our clocks never change here. Um, your clocks go back, and and then it's an eight-hour time difference, and it's an 11 p.m. kickoff. So, again, there's a similar there's a similar thing where if we have a terrible game, and we finish around one o'clock in the morning, I have to go to bed at one o'clock in the morning, and it's just awful. You know, I'm lying in bed thinking, ah, you know, really hard to sleep and uh, and very tricky. But um, but you know, I've got I've got into a, a bit of a routine, and and you know, the midweek games are. Uh, hard but um, if the team's playing well I mean last season was great I just could not wait to get up I would be bolt upright before my alarm went off at 2.40 or 2.30 in the morning and you know I'd run downstairs and get it up on the TV again and uh, so it was, it was pretty exciting but yeah you, you just kind of you know that again my my experience as a fan being overseas has just improved so much it's it's you know social media allowing me to connect to fans and you know listen to different discussions and and different perspectives on the team you know actually following players um having the chance to uh, listen to your pod obviously has made a massive difference in the last 18 months for me and um you know i really feel so much more connected i couldn't be more connected really to swindon that i think then um, you know, in, than if I was uh, was there without actually going to the games. And of course, fans now who are having to use iFollow instead of uh, being able to experience the match in person are, you know, starting to live a little bit in my shoes because uh, this is what the experience is like. I Sit think, down and watch my laptop. Yeah, I think they absolutely are. And I think, I think it's something that people don't appreciate how much of a struggle it is. I can't watch Swindon or anything in any other way other than at the game. I just, I get too nervous at home, too frustrated. And night kickoffs would be, I'd be the same as you, you know, struggle to sleep. Um, I, I, I think I've broke that sort of policy a couple of times over the years, but really. I don't tend to watch Swindon other than at the county ground and that's that's that is just because I'm just un, I'm insufferable when when that's the case and it, it's it's really really interesting and I'm, I've always been fascinated by the the acts the the expat experience when it comes to maintaining that love mm. for that team and you, we used to get it it used to always be Australia it always used to be the Australian based fans that used to get the news in the advert like 
fans travelled tens of thousands of miles to go and watch Swindon at Wembley. It was always the Aussies. Um, yeah. Never anyone else. And, you know, I mean, it's going to make me sound like I'm, you know, bragging about the sort of figures and stats I get, but... You know, I've I've got a good listenership in the USA. I've got there's a couple of guys, or one guy in Bermuda that listens every week. South Korea, across Europe, Singapore, Thailand, Australia, and it just it just opens my eyes of this little club in Wiltshire, just having this 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 fan base that okay, it's not in numbers, but they're still dotted around, they're still dedicated, they're still following, and they're still enjoying the support of Swindon Town. Yeah, I mean, I, I think once you have it in you, it's impossible to to look elsewhere. Really, I mean, I I have a my business partner is a Luton fan, lifelong Luton fan. You know, when we've been to football matches here, which is extremely rare because it's awful, um, <laughs> but when we have gone, you know, I'll wear a Luongo shirt. He's wearing a terrible orange Luton shirt. Um, and everybody kind of you, you get the looks from people who just don't have a clue. Who that is they don't they don't recognize the badge they don't know the names on the backs of shirts and you just kind of you just sort of instinctively have it in you i mean i, I know people that have also moved to the middle east um and culturally it's 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 not that it's not acceptable to follow a lower league side but you know there's a there is a sort of lack of gravitas about it so even in social situations if you're talking to you know somebody in in a you know, in a social context or even in a business context, and they bring up football, it's always got to be the Premier League. And it's almost kind of, it's almost negative for you. You you get a sort of negative perspective if you start talking about lower league football or, you you know, you don't have a Premier League football team that you support. And I know a lot of fans who have just picked a Premier League side, a lot of friends who will just have it as a as a way of engaging in conversation and, and ensuring that they, you know, break the ice they don't miss out on that and you know I've, I've encountered it here a lot because you know again the marketing machine around the premier league is just absolutely stampeding through asia and you know i speak to my wife's parents and and you know uncles who all sit there talking about liverpool because of standard chartered being here they're all liverpool fans um they you know they talk a lot about the premier league and then they always they always forget who my team is. So every year I have to explain the same thing on the big occasions, Chinese New Year or whatever it might be. I have to talk through again, you know, why I support this team that's three leagues below theirs and uh, three divisions below theirs. Um, but, you know, and I know we sort of chatted about this briefly, but, but these guys, a lot of them are actually quite sort of genuinely into a particular team. Um, we have these uh, pre-season tours in Asia, you know, they, they come to Singapore, Hong Kong, Malaysia, Indonesia, Thailand, a lot of the Premier League clubs. And occasionally they'll have a tournament here where you, I mean, we went in 2014 and they had, it was Wenger with Arsenal. Um, Juventus came here, they had Pirlo, they had Pogba, they had Buffon, they had Evra. They play their full first teams because obviously they're contractually obliged to put on a decent display. Um, so they don't just come with the kids. But, you know, there are fans in those stadiums um, who are in old JVC shirts. And I mean, you know, not sort of spanking new, brightly coloured JVC shirt, old, tatty, ripped JVC shirts that someone's picked up for them on a trip to Europe. Um, so, you know, there's this, there is this thing. It's very interesting that the idea of 
how overseas fans, foreign fans are, are sort of engaging with their football teams. And when you go to a local match, I mean, in Singapore, you've got a few teams. Jermaine Pennant played here a couple of years ago. It was clearly all about the Benjamins and, uh, you know, barely played, didn't really get a game, wasn't super fit. But you go to a game here on a Tuesday night, it's 32 degrees at 8 p.m. every day of the week. Um, it's 80% humidity and you just sit and sweat. You don't do anything. You sit watching the football and you just pour with sweat. It's not a pleasant experience whatsoever. And then the football is appalling. So, you know, there's nothing for football fans to get excited about. So you can't blame um, fans across Asia for um, suddenly being, you know, energized by the, um, you know, the sort of excitement of Premier League teams, you know, the, the, um, the sort of passion that they have around, around Premier League teams is, is, uh, is quite amazing. And I, I kind of, I go back and forth on this a little bit because I, I see it and I think, well, you're not real fans because, you know, these are not clubs that you have a strong connection with personally. And it's, it's fair weather football supporting, um, but, you know, a lot of fans make a connection. It's, it tends to be a lifelong connection. They're not sort of flitting between one team and the other. Um, and I almost find myself, um, you know, empathizing with them more. The longer I'm away, the less I get to see Swindon. You know, I, I feel more like I'm that kind of a fan now than, than I was, although I have this sort of um, inherent connection with, with Swindon through my family and where I was born. Mm. But... Uh, but yeah, it's 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 quite interesting. I mean, we you know we do try and go and see um, you know the Premier League teams, the international teams when they come here, because obviously the the other thing is that the stadium, the national stadium in Singapore, is fifty thousand, fifty five thousand seats, and it has air conditioning under the seats, so that is a much better experience than going and sitting in the Tampanese Rovers stand. Yeah, <laughs> and then there's and then there's the fans finishing off that. You know, start supporting Swindon from overseas who have got no links to the United Kingdom. They just mm -hmm. they pick us up through like computer games. Like we've got one lad, Fede in Buenos Aires, who listens to the podcast, and I think he played as Swindon on on a on a on a console game. I don't know if it, it was FIFA, um, but he's been following Swindon ever since, and it, that's just incredible to me. Incredible. Tom Jones. Listening to the Low Strangers podcast, proudly sponsored by the STFC Official Supporters Club. Come on, Swindon! <laughs> let's let's move to your eleven. Now you've got a fun eleven. I thoroughly enjoy it because it's not your all-time favourite players. So uh -huh. what, what I challenged you with is I wanted you to create an eleven. My initial proposal was your favourite Swindon eleven since you were an expat. Players that you didn't see much, but you somehow had a connection with. But you went one extra. You've gone for an overseas eleven, as from your time living abroad, which is wonderful. Yeah, it, it's uh, it's basically the expat eleven, and uh, I what I wanted to do, and this was a huge mistake because it took me ages to figure out the players, but. Um, I wanted to pick players that were all born outside of the British Isles. So, 
you know, even the Republic. I wanted people, I wanted players that were outside the Republic because 100% the team would have been entirely Irish <laughs> if, I, if I'd let them in. Um, and, you know, if, if it had been, uh, if it had been a sort of, you know, if it had been a purely expat uh, team, I thought it was a little bit more interesting and sort of exciting. But as you'll see, uh, we're quite limited in some positions. Yeah. Okay. Well, we won't give away any more spoilers. It's it's an okay eleven, but we'll we'll start with the bench, and we're going to with we usually give the bench a bit of attention, but time isn't really on our side. So your bench is as follows. So you've got your sub goalie is Peter Brezovan. Um, you've got the other six substitutes are Alessandro Chibocchi, uh, Philippe Cuervo, Antoine van der Linden. I haven't managed to say Antoine van der Linden on this podcast nearly enough. Stefani Miglaranzi, Danny Invincible in Vichible, and Mehdi Karouche. There are some players on that bench, Matt, that should probably be in the eleven. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I did go back and forth on some of them. Um you know, half of this lot are, are almost like a villain eleven as well from the villains eleven. But um, I know, I know that uh, Migs could have been in there. Um, Invincible could have been in there. Thank you. Uh, I mean, I liked, I loved Medi Karouche. I, I really did. I feel a bit like Medi Karouche was too similar to Decanio. Probably the personality clash was uh, was what caused the fallout there. But uh, um, yeah, I mean it. We had, uh, I had to put Chibocchi in there, although I never saw him play. Um, I know that he was a bit of a fan favourite. He had a bit of a tough time, though, I think, because around about the time he was he was in the squad, you had Jay McEverly, you had Callum Kennedy. I think Liam Rydolch came in on loan that year. Even, even Alan McCormick occasionally played on the left. So, now, again... As with every position that season, just tons of tons of good players. Um, I'm not 100% sure why he left. I know he had one fairly average or fairly good season, and then personal reasons, but I'm not sure what they were. Um, I think with 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 Sibo, I think I think it's pretty much summed up by the fact he's known for two things really, maybe three. Mm. One is the chant, the song. Um, I want to dance with Chibocchi. Um Two, the the game where he did several foul throws, um, and three, his legacy, which is his absolute love for Swindon Town, but his his poor English means that it's it's quite amusing on social media when every now and again he he emerges. I think he he was one of these players who you know wasn't quite good enough. Um, Decanio brought him in early on and he he I think he was probably told that he wasn't going to get a, a game the only the only Italian player we'll get to out of you know the, the many many Europeans that came in only one really prospered Medicruce was a was an interesting one because he came from nowhere, hit the ground running, and then disappeared. And I think you're quite right. I think personality clashes, whether they're similar or not, I think he was a bit mischievous, was Medi. And Paolo Di Canio doesn't deal with mischief very well. Miggs, no, no. Miggs was you know, a fantastic player. And had it not been for injuries, would have never played at the level that Swindon were at. I think, I think Antoine van der Linden was a good player at the wrong time. Um, for mm. Swindon and and it's just you know he, he he could have stayed but didn't Cuervo's I've got lovely memories of Cuervo I was really excited back in those days when Swindon would sign a European player 
any player from overseas, it would be really exciting. So, you know, Daras had probably just left and then Cuervo comes in. It's like the, almost like a token Frenchman at one stage. And a lot of the Football League were doing that. I remember, because bless him, he had all those injury problems. I remember him mm. playing Westbury United in the Wiltshire Shield and he scored and he celebrated like he'd scored an 89th minute winner at Wembley, um, which got him quite a bit of teasing from from school friends. And that, that, that brings us Danny Invercible, um, because mm. he's probably one of the best players we had from that era and pretty yeah. much overshadowed by the emergence of Sam Parkin immediately afterwards, even though they weren't the same kind of player, that his... The, the the admiration and our love for Danny before he went to Kilmarnock was pretty was pretty much sort of forgotten about because Sammy hit the part, hit the Sammy hit the ground running didn't he and yeah and that's that's never and, and Brezovan was almost your default goalkeeper until recently <laughs> for this criteria wasn't he yeah and you know there were a few others uh, I mean even I liked Frank Talia as well yeah. I, I don't really know why but I, you know he was a bit of a backup throughout his time but I always liked him um, but I you know Peter Bresman was a monster was just gigantic might have been one of our tallest ever players um, and just you know just great to see him in the goal I mean just a, a huge guy I think I think when he was at Swindon um, he and Phil Smith over the three years that they were together they probably split the games about 50 50 yeah. they played what's an equal amount of games but great and, and couldn't have looked more different probably yeah um Brezovan also turned up with one of those wispy european mullets originally yeah. and he swiftly got rid of it and that you know that, those are the things i remember <laughs> over anything so yeah that's a really solid pretty solid bench I would say so let's move on to the 11 now and it starts strong so we start with our goalkeeper a lot of these players didn't play much uh, for Swindon a couple stayed around there's not many goals in your team I'll tell you that now but but there can be little question about who gets the goalkeeper jersey in this 11 given the criteria he's only just left he played three quarters of a season would have played more had it not been for the end of a the 2019-2020 season due to the bloody coronavirus. It's our first German. It's Stevie Bender. Mm. I think it, it had to be, really. Um, we you know, we saw a lot of great stuff from him last season, some amazing saves. Um, I know it took him a while to bed in, and you know, I know there's a lot of parallels being drawn um, with Kovac at the moment, but he... He had five weeks behind McCormick, didn't didn't play for a long time. Yeah. And, um, you know, even when he came in, I think they lost 3-0 the first game. You know, it must have been very traumatic for him as a young keeper to come in on loan and, and have to deal with that. But he, he was given time to settle. Um, I think the one thing that used to terrify me, right, it's certainly in the first few months, was just the balls into touch. There were just There was just constantly... You know, this fear that, that he was going to try a diagonal and it was going to go out on the halfway line. and um, But, you know, that was kind of teased out of his game, fortunately. And then, you know, he just became a, you know, a stalwart for us in the goal. Made some amazing saves, you know, really strong. You know, became, I think, very confident. That confidence seemed to come through. And, and you know, the way that he was interacting with the, with the back line a lot of the time just gave you a lot of uh, sense of comfort that you were going to be sort of looked after at the back. And 
there's nobody else that could have made it really in that position. We had Greemink, he's another one. Yeah, yeah. But uh, no, it had to be Stephen Bender. Yeah, Greemink's a good shout, actually. Um, you're quite right. I think those five weeks of bedding him in that Wellens did was absolutely key. And, I, you know, he did make great saves. But I think the secret to ex- to Bender's success was he did the basic stuff well and he did it right because I always sort of say when we do prep for the pod you know especially at the moment where Kovash is getting so much stick just a couple of games in mm. I just I just think I always find myself saying Bender didn't do anything outrageously amazing like maybe Fods did when when he came into Swindon where you could see like man this guy's a goalkeeper but he just Slowly but surely, Stephen Bender just got better and better and better. And my, my, my ultimate hope for Stephen is that one day he'll be playing in the Champions League for you know Schalke or someone like that. And we'll be able to say he played 27 times for Swindon. How cool is that? That's right. That would be great. I mean, you know, he's already on the bench in, in the championship. Um, it looks like they should have used him against Newport. But, um, you know, he'll get his chance soon for sure. Yeah. Absolutely, it will. Well, let's move to the defence now. So we'll start on the right. Um, you'll tell me that there was very little choice. This, this player played between 2007 and 2008, just the one season, but it was a player of the season campaign for him. 47 games in all competitions, no goals, and I always struggle to pronounce his name, but I'm going to go for it as I always do. It's Miguel Comange or Cominguez. Well, I'm going with Comanche because uh, Guadeloupe is a, a French territory, and if they're saying his name in French, they would say Comanche. So I'm totally with you on that. Fantastic. Well, it, it was it's funny because you know I, I'm, I make no secret that he wasn't my player of the season that year. It was Craig Easton, um, but it was a very solid. I think it's one of he was one of these players, and you know you you may you may disagree, but he's one of these players where you expect nothing from, and then he was surprisingly good and I think that went a long way with Swindon fans that year yeah I mean again I you know I didn't see a lot of him playing in person I think I might have been to one game that year but you you know there was just this there was a bit of flair that that we didn't really have through the team that year and you know when when you have players like this that can attack on the right on the left and and make things happen it's just it just lifts the the whole experience I mean I think we had our alternatives for for that season, right? So, and I'm not saying that uh, he was in because we didn't have any other options. He was definitely a good shout, but we had Juan Cobian, who just never really had the chance, and Gareth Eds. <laughs> so, uh, literally, no other overseas right backs um, in the uh, in the in the sort of uh, in the box, unfortunately. But. Um, I really liked, you know, him. Again, I only saw Miguel Camarge really in, in highlights, but, you know, a bit of sort of flair and, and a bit of that excitement that he brought to the side was, you know, a bit surprising. And I actually remember at the time thinking when he left, he fell out with, uh, who did he fall out with? Wait, I can't remember who he, he fell out with at the end of the season. Didn't, re- didn't re-sign a new contract. No, I think, I think he was one of these classic... I, I imagine the deal that we, we offered him probably wasn't great or much of an upgrade after a player of the season campaign and he went to the yeah. championship with Cardiff so you know that was ultimately probably his goal when he joined Swindon his agent would have probably said let's go to Swindon have a good year and see what comes up if nothing comes up we'll stay at Swindon if teams like Cardiff comes in 
off you go. So it's, it, that's that's football, isn't it? Yeah, oh yes. Yeah. yeah. Okay, let's move to the left. A player that, again, isn't mentioned enough, but he was pretty solid. Unfortunately, the tail end of his town career coincided with a relegation. It's uh, Lex Jean-Francois, uh, 2009-2011, 65 appearances and one goal, which I'm pretty sure was on his last game. Yeah, I really liked him. I know that, you know, I've probably the completely um, sort of polar opinion to a lot of town fans about players because I didn't really see them in person very much. So I tend to, I tend to report back on the highlights and uh, I didn't catch much of the lowlights. But I thought he was great at the time. I thought that, you know, we needed a, a decent player in that position. We really were lacking at the time. And the especially the expat 11 is particularly lacking in left backs. Um, but I, I know that we, I think the first season that he came in, we had we had quite a few good players at the back, um, and you know I feel like he could have gone on and done a lot more. Another another one of these players that that sort of fell off the radar, um, didn't really do very much after leaving. No, that's right. He went to Sheffield United and and suffered because he joined up with Danny Wilson again, and he just yes. suffered just injury issues throughout. And I don't think he he played. Again, after after that, unfortunately for him, Comange had a similar fate um, in his career. Just went around the houses, but but suffered through injuries. But yeah, he was he was very good. And you know, tail end of that two thousand nine two thousand ten season, he was very much in the side, and he's he's sort of the, the forgotten member of of that squad. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I think we had. Uh... We did have a few other decent options at the time as well, but you know, whenever I saw him, and again, it was generally when he did something right, it was he looked great. He always looked good to me. I mean, in terms of the the backup options for that position, we had we also had Brad Smith, which you know he could have made it in there if he played more games. Always, uh, always quite a good career. Chap. Fascinating yeah. career. Just doesn't play yeah. enough, but he gets all these moves. No, that's right. That's right. And I think at the time, you know, we were. I remember feeling really excited about him coming in, but yeah. unfortunately, he didn't make the didn't make the expat eleven. Um, we also had Fede Bassoni in that period. Poor old Fed. <laughs> we won't say too much. About Poor old Fed. Yeah, lovely guy, lovely guy, but oh, he 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 didn't have a great time at Swindon. That's for sure. I mean, I'm, I'm just looking at Brad Smith's career, and he's he's still only played about. Well, he's, I mean, he's only played about 50 games in the league across his career. You know, just insane. He's 26 now. He's played 22 times for Australia. But his his two seasons at Seattle, he's just got back to Seattle, actually. He's gone back there now. Um, he only played five times in four years for Bournemouth. It seems just it's such a waste. People just be shouting money. Um, but I think he's had a few injuries. But that's insane. He was... Really looked useful when he was at Swindon, but he's not in this eleven, so we're not allowed to talk about him anymore. So we'll move to the centre-backs. So the next one is one of two players who are currently at the club that you've included. Um, he may well be uh, the captain of this side, but you'll tell me that. It's it's Matthew Baldry or Baldry, depending on which way we get it wrong. I think... Both names are probably pronounced incorrectly. Still only 26 games. One denied goal. He hasn't scored officially yet. It's Baldry or Baldry. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I was looking through the, the list of, of players and, and you, you know, you want somebody particularly in that role who, 
you know, is comfortable. I want a player that's that's kind of going to put the head in, and and we've seen him do that while crawling along the floor a couple of times. Um, you know, just a guy who who you can feel confident about being at the back there and and you know pass on experience to the players around him. I think that he again was gave me the heebie-jeebies at the beginning <laughs> of last season. I mean, really, I, I wondered what was going on. You know, we had a nervy keeper at first. We had Baudry, who just you know was probably not at full fitness when he first arrived. Took a while to maybe uh, get up to speed and and. But then when settled, you know, was, I mean, and really surprisingly for me, was was a sort of fixture first probably on the team sheet, if available alongside Friars and, and Reg, um, did a great job and, and a real 180 from, from some of the first few games. I, I was very anxious watching him play on, you know, I was sitting in my living room. Yeah. As, as somebody who'd seen him a couple of times previously in his career, it was an interesting signing for me because I've seen him play very well for clubs so he was a part of Leighton Orient's sort of fantastic season in League One and I've seen him playing games where he just looked like a middling League One, League Two centre-back you know so I, I really didn't know what to expect when he arrived at Swindon and you know I, I'm I'm loath to sort of discuss fitness because I know he hates it so much that people dwell mm. on it but he could become such an important figure from this era in Swindon. Um, fans do generally feel far more reassured when he's at the back. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm really hoping that he, you know, is is in the team for 30, 35 games this year and, yeah. and you know, get some consistency there because it's it's definitely something that you need of all the positions that you want consistency on the pitch. It's it's in that role, I think. Yeah, and I think when I spoke to him. And it might have been off mic, but he is so dedicated to whoever he's playing for. So he is not somebody that's just picking up a wage and just happy just to see out the rest of his career. He he invests mentally and and he is completely dedicated to the cause. And I really hope it works out for him. You You mentioned... Scaring, you know, Baldry early on sort of gave you a few uh, nervy moments. Well, the next player gave us plenty of those. I think he gets a sort of tough legacy from some fans. He played for a long time with Swindon, 2013 to 2017, 130 games in all competitions with seven goals. He didn't feel like that, but that's what he got. It's Raphael Rossi Branco. <laughs> It had to be in there. It had to be in there. I, I cannot explain it, but I I really loved him as a as a player for Swindon. I know that you know half the people listening or more are going to say the absolute opposite and you know very marmite this player. Mm. But I felt like he you know was exciting to watch. It was terrifying to watch. I felt like he gave everything. Um, something that you know you know really loved about. Uh, Rossi Branco in the same way that we hope Baudry does is that he stayed for four years I mean stayed for four seasons with us and for me you know when you look at sort of recent era in football players just don't do it and it's my it's a real bugbear of mine that that players want to constantly move and change jobs and I know that that's culturally what's happening you know not just in football but in in lots of other industries but to see a guy stay for four years at a club you know, not always getting the best reception from fans, not always playing that well, but really committing. It really said a lot on that, and he had to be in my team. <laughs> another another player with a 
an amazingly varying career. I mean, his senior career, Porto Alegre, Brighton and Hove Albion, Whitehawk, Swindon, Bovista in uh, in Portugal, and now sorry, and now Sion in um in Switzerland. It's just a rem- yeah. You know, and I think that is quite common for a lot of Brazilian footballers. But I mean, his legacy really with Swindon has got to be, you know, rightly or wrongly, the uh, the smash he gave Aidan Flint when they absolutely tonked us at Ashton Gate. But they, he gave many fans something to cling on to. Well, yeah, I mean, anybody that puts Aidan Flint's teeth into orbit is okay with me. <laughs> The thing with Rossi Branco actually as well, I I worked with a Brazilian designer here in Singapore who was a Corinthians fan and he knew of him. So finally I had somebody that I could talk to about one Swindon player. Yeah. So uh, for me, yeah, has to be in there. He would probably make my all-time Swindon 11. Well, maybe. Wow, there we go. Big claim there by Matt in Singapore. We move on to the midfield now. So we'll start on the wings. Huge fan of this guy, really. Everyone who knows me knows that I love a good name. This is a guy that that played 88 times for Swindon, scoring 14 goals. He was brought in, we think, pretty much to be a, a centre-forward, but ended up on the wings. 2011-2013, it's Rafael De Vita. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he played a lot. I mean, you know, 88 games in two years yeah you know to have that consistency to not be injured uh in some ways again you know probably didn't have the best reputation while he was with us but managed to play that many games in two years is is incredible um you know i i had him on the wing here i I know that he did come in and, and play up front a few times i felt like he um wasn't maybe as skillful didn't have the right touch up front but um, you know, quite good at, at coming inside and 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 chipping the ball into the the forwards, and uh, yeah, he had to make it really in my side. And again, it's not uh, entirely because of what a brilliant player he was. There were very limited options on the wings, but we'll get to that. <laughs> the Davita actually, I think, I mean, he had a better season in his second season, and that's what made it quite surprising because I always thought to myself, at that time when Swindon players were leaving, it was based because their contracts were were far too much for Swindon to be able to afford in the fallout from from what happened in 2013. And mm. I th- always thought to myself, he was playing second division football in Scotland. How much did we give this guy if he was one of the ones being released? But really, really sad because I, I do think he could have really kicked on to be a very popular Swindon, at a, a Swindon player at a time where you know, for want of a better phrase, we were downgrading who we were bringing in. But I think he could have really been one of the ones um, that could have stuck around. Um, but it wasn't to be. And again, another player who suffered with injuries. Um, we move on to the next on the other side. So on the left now, we have a player who played between late 2006 and the end of the 2007-8 season. He played 64 times, scoring just the one goal. Another friend of the pod this whole midfield of friends of the pod it's Sophie Zaboob yeah I mean I I uh, again we are even more limited in this position than probably any other position on the park but but he definitely deserved a spot I thought start brought him in his, I think he might have been his first signing um, he basically fell out with everybody that came in after Starrick <laughs> uh, 
and and it seems to be a bit, a bit of a theme through my through my team and i don't know whether that's because there are a lot of cultural differences between some of the players coming in particularly the french guys um but yeah he was a bit of a fiery character and, and i think you know look look back through the teams over the last 10 20 years and and you know you want those players in there you know that rossi branco putting his head in where he probably shouldn't put it and i like the players that, that get stuck in don't sort of jump out of tackles um i know that he uh he wore gloves a lot I seem to remember him wearing gloves Every all game. year round yeah yeah and yeah. i think he was uh, he was kind of uh put to the side a little bit when anthony mcnamee came in um would have been nice to have seen more of zaboob yeah, Zaboob was definitely the glove thing was was superstitious and every game and I, my my memory of it was not being bothered by it but it used to wind the fans of the opposition up so much because they probably saw him some sort of softy they didn't oh, realise yeah. he was he was just doing it because it was a superstition and and it used to really really wind up the opposition fans. Oh yes, yeah, perfect, and that's all we ever want from Swindon Town players. Next is in the centre of the park now, the second of two players who are still at Swindon. 25 games, one goal, and a very important one at that. It's Jordan Lydon. Yeah, I mean, again, I, I, Jordan Lydon is another player that you just wish he could get over his injuries. Um, but another one of these players that if, you know, if he wasn't so injury prone, he probably wouldn't be with us. Um, you know, came from Villa, lots of promise, you know, been, was absolutely great last year. I mean, I, I saw him get sent off at Christmas, which, you know, I never mind seeing players get stuck in and get sent off. But he, uh, you know, signed a new deal, which made us all really, really happy. And I think he just changes the team, breaks up the play, gives you time to get forward. I think he's just a, he's the sort of guy that is, you know, a lot of teams need in the midfield, especially when, um, he has, uh, you know, Anthony Grant around. It's slightly different now with with um, Michael Doughty, unfortunately, leaving. But you know, for me, it was uh, he's a great player for this squad. I mean, he probably would make a an all time eleven too. Hi, I'm Colin Calderwood, and welcome to the Loath Strangers podcast. Next one topical for this podcast because he was recently guest for the 200th episode 2013 to 2017 139 games eight goals it's Yasser Kassim yeah another another player that you when you think back you know four seasons I mean it's quite incredible around about that time we had a lot of players that that stayed stayed with us and uh you know really put some consistency in the squad I mean I he was a real he was great when he arrived i think you know we saw a couple of a couple of amazing performances from yasa and it's it's a it's an it's an interesting situation i think you know we all wanted him to do really well he uh, he played very well for a couple of seasons you know there's a period where it, it wasn't as great and you know we we didn't see the sort of energy and excitement that we we were getting from him early on but you know, quite good at breaking up play. I mean, I think I think he he had a couple of things that I liked. You know, he got stuck in, and you know, broke up play quite a lot, helped move things forward. I thought he was quite good going forward as well, more in the ten role. Mm. Um, he doesn't make my ten role here because I liked him sitting a bit further back. But you know, I felt like he was always a player who, um, you know, was equally happy and unhappy. Yeah, just you know, as though. He maybe felt like he should have been somewhere else 
could have been you know doing better and and that was a shame really but again you know 139 games in in four years it's really you know it's really commendable yeah um, I, again it's 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 hard to disagree the one thing that winds me up about his legacy is people make it sound like the classic Kasim era was much shorter than what it actually was. You know, people always cite the, um, you know, the Asia Cup um, as the moment where it all went wrong. But he was well into his Swindon career at that stage. And pretty much everything before that was absolutely brilliant to perfectly adequate. You know, there was not, he didn't, he wasn't known to have a stinker. There were games where he, he couldn't get involved as much, but he was a very, very good and influential member of the squad. And even when he came back, we still made the playoffs. There was definitely a dip, but I would put that more to, you know, too much football. And then maybe his head was turned at that stage when all his pals were going off to QPR and so forth. That was the time for Yasser to leave and his legacy would have been huge um, yeah. had he left in 2015. But he didn't. He stuck around. There was the decrease of, you know, his performances weren't that great. And then we got relegated and anybody who suffers a relegation season, their stock does stuff, naturally suffer, doesn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, the next one did leave um, in 2015 um, and has done all right since. Probably not gone as far as we thought he would have. Still very much comfortably in the championship, but hasn't got that Premier League place just yet. Twenty. 13 to 2015, including loan spells, 102 appearances, 14 goals, two World Cups, no appearances, an absolute travesty. It's Massimo Luongo. Yeah, I mean, he for me was was you know super influential at the time, and you know really creative. And you know when I go back to when I started watching football, and I look at the players that I really liked, and it's always people like Nicky Summerby and Martin Ling and and. You know, those midfield players who could just turn and take the ball past the player and, and slide one through or, you know, shoot from the edge of the box. And, you know, I really loved Mass. I thought it was a, it was really good for us around that time. He had, uh, you know, in fact, he's the reason why I bought my first Swindon shirt. I think it was around 2015. Not my first one ever, but my <laughs> first one in a while. Um, and, you know, I just wanted to get a shirt with his name on it. And, and it was around about the time of that Brazil World Cup. Um, so, you know, we were out watching games late at night, ridiculous time difference, um, or getting up and watching it at four o'clock in the morning. Um, and it, you know, I was really excited about the fact that we had a, a player at the world cup. I mean, you know, I think he might've been the first, he obviously wasn't the first to play in the world cup, but he was certainly our first player. First in a um, while. Fjortov yeah. maybe. Yeah. Fjortov was off, yeah. in 94. So I, I always remember after the world cup, Swindon played a friendly. It was the first one of pre-season after that World Cup was at Yate and railings football. You can hear everything. And we we were stood by uh, Yate players who were warming up and they were saying, you'll see him. You went to the World Cup. And one replied, well, he didn't play. And then the other one just replied, you went to a World Cup though. <laughs> you know, just like two Yate substitutes sort of, yeah. You know, talking about a Swindon player who's gone to World Cup and one having the audacity of pointing out he didn't play, you know, it was just remarkable yeah. listening, but a far too, on his day, far too good for Swindon Town. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he, you know, as you say, he didn't, 
you, you kind of expected him to really push on. And, and I know when he went to the Asia Cup, he played much better and obviously had a, had a lot more impact. Uh, I mean, the first Asian Cup, you know, he, I think he scored in the final. He did, yeah. Uh, yeah. Which, and then in the recent one, you know, which was in the UAE and, you know, very surprisingly, they lost to the UAE, Australia. <laughs> I don't think he played as much, but yeah. What are you say saying? I'm doing it with a wink. Um, but yeah, he, he, uh, he had a massive impact, certainly in 2015. And I think that's really when you kind of expected him to push on and, and really move up, whether it be, you know, regular Premier League games or, or you know, constant fixture in the, in the championship. But he was, it was super exciting to have a player like that in the team. And, and you know, that period where we had all those loanies in from Tottenham at the beginning of his time was, it was great. It was, it was really exciting to see uh, so much talent in the squad. Yeah. Well, that brings us to our final player, our centre forward for for this squad. He was born overseas, so he ticks the boxes. And, you know, another player who went to a World Cup, but not representing Swindon. He was an England youth cap, though. He uh, played for Swindon between 2003 and 2006, scoring 25 goals in 89 appearances in all competitions. Your final player, Matt, is Rory Fallon. Oh, Yes. Rory Fallon. I mean, I, I know that you kind of everybody everybody loves his his ridiculous um, bicycle kick against um, uh, who Bristol was he? City. Yeah, amazing. I mean, just but one of those guys that I always felt like you know he he just had such presence up front and you know I I kind of like him in this squad because he's he's got a lot of speed and pace behind him, not necessarily in his own legs, but. There's a lot of pace in, you know, behind him to to drop the ball in, and I think when he joined, again, it was for me personally. I've got a lot of relatives in New Zealand, so it's just one of those things. I was like, yes, we finally have a Kiwi on board, and and you know, great fun to have him in the squad. He uh, didn't really didn't really catch fire after Tommy Mooney left. I think there was a the first season he was, you know, a bit behind Sam Parkin and Tommy Mooney. They scored forty odd goals between them. Um, you know, I think we all wanted him to do well in the four or five season, but just didn't really take off. I think in the end, actually, in 2005, 2006, he had a very good return, something like 14 or 15 in in 28, 29 games. So for me, he had a fairly strong legacy when he left. But, you know, this is the Marmite L- Evan. So, uh, well, very not well, going to please everyone. Very much so. Yeah, I mean, three, four. I've probably mentioned it before. He was the perfect backup for Parkin and Mooney. Contributed with some goals, gave them a bit of a respite. Scored in the playoff semi-finals. It was teed up very nicely in 0405. It goes terribly wrong for him at Swindon. Gets bombed out to Yeovil on loan. Looks like it's pretty much over, and then. In his final season, which unfortunately again is a relegation season, would we have gone down had he stuck around? Maybe, who knows? But he just becomes the player that scores the goals and it earns him his move. And Fallon seemed to play with this sort of light-hearted nature that he it just he didn't he took it very seriously, but he had this sort of playfulness um, which mm. made him very popular. I do wonder what his legacy would have been like had he not scored that goal against Bristol City because that, that gave him about a year-long stock, I think. 
Yeah, that's right. That's right. I well, think he's making ice cream now as well. Yeah, and he's, oh, a, he's, he's assistant with New Zealand. So that's, you know, perfect. Ice cream yeah. and, you know, waving, uh, well, waving a clipboard about on the side of a pitch. Um exactly while somebody else gets in trouble if, if they lose. He's done it perfectly well. Okay, well, that that's the 11. Lovely. I enjoyed that thoroughly. I, I imagine I know who's going to be managing this team, given the criteria. Yeah, I mean, there, there really is only one, and uh, it had to be Paolo. Yeah, I mean, it's beginning now. At time is passing, you know, so rapidly. It's, it's what, eight years since he won the title with Swindon. It's seven years since he left. He is beginning to fade into the history let's side now that it doesn't feel so recent. So for years, we just wouldn't stop talking about him. And now it's beginning. Maybe it's because Richie Wellens has brought a similar success. He's now beginning to become more of, you know, the history pages of Swindon now, but a hell of a year and a half. I've had this thing. uh, There's always this kind of... uh soundbite for me when I talk to people about Swindon about how we've had this ridiculous run of managers okay there have been a few you don't mention but you know we went from um, Macari to Ardiles to Hoddle you know people like Roy Evans and and then Paolo De Canio coming in you know we seem to have been really fortunate with these exciting managers but but Paolo just, you know, there was something else about it. And I know, again, a bit Marmite. A lot of people didn't really like some of the things he stood for and, and whatever. But as a, you know, as a guy to sort of bring the fans together and, and to bring some energy and excitement to the club, you just couldn't wish for anything else. Yeah. yeah. And the game, the game, was it Northampton where he yeah. ran up the pitch? I mean, you you would never see that with other managers. And, <laughs> and you know, I, I was showing people that clip on my laptop who had no interest in football and you know just didn't want to see it had no no possible sort of um, uh, interest and it just felt like you know it was an amazing moment to see this guy so passionate about about what he was doing and and you know really loved by fans for a certain period of time but you know brought just a lot of a lot of fun and excitement to that that period the key to his success as far as I was concerned wasn't the people he brought in it's the people he improved so the likes of uh, Ferry the likes Mm. of Matt Ritchie um, even Paul Caddis to a degree you know he he brought in all these players but those who did stick around after the relegation before he arrived were just improved so considerably and you know they always cite you know his regimes were grueling but you know they were as fit as they'd ever been um, and I think that energy that, that he gave Swindon started out broadly, other than if there was that wobble at the start, it yeah. was broadly positive. But at the end, when the things were going wrong behind the scenes and then it, it, it was beginning to get exhausting following mm-hmm. Swindon at that stage, genuinely exhausting. It was some an era I'll never forget. No, I mean, it, it was... It was so disappointing to know that he left. When he left, we were just about in first place. We were going up. For sure. And, you you, you know, there's as much as you wish it weren't so, you know, he left. They had their issues. Matt Ritchie was sold. It would have been incredible if he had stayed and just seen out the season and, you know, brought somebody else in to, to take us on. But it was 
you know, it was a typical sort of dip in the Swindon roller coaster, and, and that's where we ended up. But but really fun while it lasted, loads of wins, you know, just amazing stories that are coming out now, of course, and we're hearing loads of, of fun things from ex-players. But, you know, I, even at the time, I remember hearing about how there was so much attention to detail. So it wasn't just the passion and energy. It was really... Uh, technical, you know, it was really focused on doing things right, and you know the way that the, you, you know, you hear stories about how the goalkeepers were uh, trained to to sort of learn about about where to go for penalties and and um, you know really sort of scrutinising the way that other teams played. There was there was a lot more behind the scenes. So while there is a bit of a sort of um, you know. There's a lot of fun and a lot of uh, sort of clown-like um, image to that period and some of the things that he did and how he was constantly in the spotlight and made fun of by other managers. There was a lot of integrity, I think, under the surface as well and just wish that it could have lasted a bit longer. Yeah, yeah, just even if it was six more months, not even that, four more months yeah. and we would have been over the line and starting again and who knows what would have happened there but there we go that's the 11 bender come on jean-francois leiden rossi branco baudry davita kasim fallon luongo and zaboob managed by paolo de canio how are you feeling after that feeling good uh yeah i'm not sure if he would have liked managing a lot of those players and obviously <laughs> we know like managing some of them but uh i don't know how successful that team would be the marmite 11 uh, managed by the Marmite uh, manager himself, so uh, we'll see. I quite like it. For me, it's the final level. It's quite exciting, and you know, as I, as I said, in some positions there really were no options. <laughs> well, it's competitive, and I think that's all that matters. You know, that it's, it can definitely hold its own and get some wins. I'm more than sure. But that brings us to the end of this my eleven, Matt in Singapore. Thank you very much. Oh, you're very welcome, Rich. Enjoyed it. The Low Strangers is a Swindon Town podcast proudly sponsored by the STFC Official Supporters Club. The music was created by the great Matthew Kilford and the artwork was designed expertly by Matt in Singapore. Thanks for listening. Hi, LS Pod fans, it's JR here. If Swindon players were McDonald's items, who would they be? We've had lots of Big Macs, like the legendary Alan McLaughlin, Harry McCurdy, or even Steve McMahon. Perhaps you'd prefer to channel the power of McPlant, like Darren Ward. Or maybe five chicken selects, one to enjoy for each time Ben Gladwin joined. Yep, there's one spare, but there's still time. And you don't need super scouts or data solutions to get your hands on any of these. McDelivery through the McDonald's app brings them all to you. At participating restaurants, 18 plus. Serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hold up, what was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.